Hello there, Christopher McMichael here. Merry Christmas, season's greetings. Tis the season to be joyful because we are celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to welcome you to our television program, The Engrafted Word. We are continuing our series on the study of Christmas and more specifically, Christmas traditions. If you were with us three weeks ago, we talked about uh, Christmas and why do we celebrate it on the 25th? Could we actually know when Jesus was really born? Was he born on December 25th? If not, where does, where does that come from? We talked about that. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about the origin of Santa Claus and who was he? How did we come to this fat, jolly fellow with the red suit? Who was St. Nicholas? And, and if you missed that, I, I kind of feel sorry for you because it was a fascinating study. We covered approximately 1,700 years of the history of St. Nick. And that brings us to this episode in Telecast. We want to talk to you about the origin of Christmas traditions. We are Americans and we're Christians. I'm assuming you're a Christian and we are in, we're hot and heavy in the holiday season. And as Christians, we know that this is a season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, our soon coming King, our Prince of Peace. But we also know that not only is it a time for celebrating the birth of Jesus, but there's all these other traditions and all these cultural festivities and activities that have we've just kind of been born into it. And it seemed good in the Holy Spirit for me to study these things out. And so that's what I've been teaching on. So we're going to jump into it because there's many things to look at. But I want to give you a verse before we start, because what we're going to look at mostly in this telecast is not necessarily in the Bible. It's just cultural history. But I want to give us a Bible verse, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. The angel said, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We want to keep in mind as we study this that the meaning of Christmas is Jesus Christ. The angels came and they said, For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, not a merchandising gimmick, not the opportunity to be with family, not the opportunity to eat too much, not the opportunity to be in debt, but what was given unto us on Christmas, what we call Christmas now, 2,000 years ago, was the Savior, Christ the Lord. We want to keep that in the center of our study because if we walk away from Jesus Christ, we're no better than the pagans that have, in a sense, affected this great holiday where we, even the whole world at this time, in 2012, going on 2013, even the whole world pauses on Christmas Day. Even the pagans, even the heathen, they don't want to go to work. They want to stay at home with family. They're pigtailing and coattailing our holiday. If we forget Jesus, we're no better than them. So I want to jump into our study here. We're going to study some things. We're going to look at a couple of things. Where does the term Christmas come from? Where do we get the Christmas tree tr tradition from? What about candy canes? We're also in this telecast going to look at the term Yule. If you've ever heard the term Yule, Y-U-L-E, we're going to discuss that. And the Yule log. That, that is a tradition held by many folks. We're going to look at the origins of that. And wassailing. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to wassail? <laughs> Is that a food you get at, at Steak and Shake? Can you get that with ketchup? If not, what is wassailing? Mistletoe. We're going to look at mistletoe. We're also going to look at poinsettias because they're very popular too. So we're just going to, in this telecast, we're not going to so much preach the word at you hard and heavy. I just wanted to take time to give you an origin of what you and I do. And we're going to be shocked to find out how many of these are rooted in pagan demon worship. That does not necessarily mean we should stop it. Uh, behind me is a Christmas tree. 
we know from the Bible that in ancient times, the pagans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they would worship trees. That doesn't mean we worship a Christmas tree. And that doesn't even mean Christmas trees came out of Ashtaroth pole worship, which was he was the counterpart to Baal. or She was Ashtaroth was the feminine aspect or the feminine uh, counterpart to Baal. And the Jews fell into that heavily and God destroyed them for it. Just because certain things we carry on into our modern day have pagan roots doesn't mean we should quit it altogether. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, uh, the demons, he said, when folks worship them, they worship demons. But he said, you got to keep in mind, the offering is nothing. When the pagans worship demons, they give them the same food as an offering that you and I eat for breakfast. I was in South Africa a few years ago and I was visiting a Hindu temple. Uh, not to worship, but just out of curiosity, just as a tourist. And I, I, I came upon one of their Hindu altars to a Hindu God. I don't know the name of the God. They have a billion of them. And I understood what Paul said there in Corinthians when he said the, the offering is nothing and the idol is nothing. The idol was just this little concrete elephant seated, seated in the Buddhist, the lotus position. And it was painted with children's paint. And, but at the base of this thing was a little bowl of food. It was more like a plate. And there was a banana leaf and a little scoop of rice. And I think there were beans and there were some bananas. And the second I saw that at this Hindu temple where people worship demons ignorantly, I instantly knew what Paul meant when he said the idol is nothing and the offering is nothing. But what the heathen sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. And he goes on to say, and I would not that you had any fellowship with devils. So looking at that Hindu altar, this, the idol was nothing. It was concrete. It was the same stuff you make a curb or gutter out of. It's the same thing you make your sidewalk out of. It's the same thing you make paver stones within your backyard. That was what they were worshiping. How ridiculous is that? And also the offering, it was nothing. The offering was food I might have had for breakfast or lunch yesterday. But it was nothing. But what they did, they did it with a heart to a demon god. And so though we're going to look at some things that are very much pagan and demonic in origin, they have bled through into modern American culture. It doesn't necessarily mean we throw it out. We've just adopted it. <clears throat> when we look at Christmas trees, we don't think about worshiping Baal or going to hell. We say, hey, that's a Christmas tree. It's an evergreen. We cut the thing down. We bought it at the Christmas tree lot. We put lights on it. And look, there's pictures of my kids all over it. That's what we think of. When we look at a Christmas tree, we don't see demons and we don't worship it. It's just something we do for decoration. So just keep that in mind because when we're done with this, you may be very discouraged that everything we do as Christians in America at the birth of Jesus, most of it has pagan origins. So let's jump in real quick. Where do we get the term Christmas from? Well, the word Christmas is derived from a, a, a 13th century Old English word called Christus Mass which literally means Christ's Mass. It's borrowed from the Catholics, and it was their fe feast or their service for the Nativity. And so that was called Christ's Mass. And through the years, it has evolved into Christmas. And that's why we call it Christmas. It was originally, it's about a 700-year-old term, to just represent the service that the Catholics had in the 13th century for the Nativity, for the, for the birth of Jesus. And now, 700 or so years later, we still call it Christmas. Have you also noticed they don't like to call it Christmas anymore? They want to take the Christ out of Christmas, and so they call it the holiday season or season's greetings. Well, every season's a season. How come we don't say season's greetings in autumn? How come we don't say season's greetings in winter? How come we don't say season's greetings in the heat of August? How hypocritical. So that's where the term Christmas comes from, an Old English Catholic term, Christ's Mass. 
What about Christmas trees? That's one of the most popular thing uh, in the celebration of Christmas and in the decorating of Christmas is the the famous Christmas tree. And though it is true that all pagan cultures around the world have worshipped trees, we as Christians don't worship a Christmas tree. I have one up in my house. We have one here in the congregation in our sanctuary. And uh, this one's fake. Uh, we actually, I think we got it at a yard sale. <laughs> the one at home, uh, I don't know where we got it from. It's fake too. We don't worship it. Pagans worship everything. Christians, we worship Jesus. A pagan could take a chair and worship a chair. And we could sit in it and, and relax in it. Though all pagan religions have worshipped trees of some sort, that doesn't mean the Christmas tree is a sign of idolatry. But the Germans are credited with developing the modern idea of a Christmas tree. And that started in about the 16th century, uh, about 1570 to be exact. Devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. It was something they did for the festive season. Uh, Some Christians, if if they couldn't find a tree, they would build a pyramid out of wood and they would decorate them with evergreens and evergreen branches and they would put candles uh, on them. Uh, It is widely believed that Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformist, a reformationist, who nailed his thesis on the walls of the Catholic Church, his 95 theses, and started a, a religious revolt against the Catholics. It is believed that he was the first to add, uh, add lit, uh, lit candles and bring light to a Christmas tree. Uh, the, the common tradition is that as he was walking home one night and he was uh, preparing a sermon in his heart, he looked up and saw all the stars of the heavens and it inspired him to go home and put candles on a tree to decorate it because he was, he was meditating on the majesty of God and it was dark and it was wintry and he could look up and see more stars than you or I could ever see now with all of our lights and what they call light pollution. And he was inspired. That's the common tradition. Martin Luther, the great Christian reformist, the Protestant reformist, he's the one that put lights on a Christmas tree in the 17th century, excuse me, the 16th century. Uh, by the 19th century, uh, here in the Americas, uh, Americans found Christmas trees rather odd. Uh, That wasn't an American thing. It was a German thing. The first recorded uh, Christmas tree being on display in America was in the 1830s by German settlers. Again, that lets us know the German influence. Although although the trees have been a tradition much earlier, it was about 300 years from the time they started doing it in Germany before German settlers brought it to the Americas. Uh, The Pennsylvania and German settlements had community trees as early as 1747 here in America. But as late as the 1840s, Christmas trees were seen as pagan symbols and not accepted by most Americans. So think about that. Just right before the Civil War, most Americans totally rejected Christmas trees. That's part of the Puritan influence because the Puritans disavowed anything that had to do with Romans and the Greek paganism and the European paganism that was being brought over by uh, settlers and colonialists. Uh, In 1846, though, here's where it really starts to pick up speed. Queen Victoria, who was very popular in England and her German prince, uh, famous Prince Albert, they were sketched in an illustrated London news standing with their children around a Christmas tree. And that, of course, was spread throughout England. And because she was so popular with her people, the people of England, the, the British, they anything she did, they wanted to do. And because somebody sketched her, and maybe she did it, maybe she didn't do it, standing around a Christmas tree, they instantly wanted to be like their queen. And that caused the tradition of the Christmas tree to spread like wildfire throughout England. 
Uh, they wanted to be fashionable just like their queen was. And because of that, uh, because the British were so influential, this quickly spread to the eastern coast of America where all of our colonies were. That was about 1846. By the 1890s, Christmas ornaments were arriving from Germany and Christmas tree popularity was on the rise in the Americas. It was noted that Europeans used small trees, but we Americans, we've always been big time. Uh, we liked our trees to go all the way from floor to ceiling. And so we saw what the Europeans did and we said, we'll outdo it. We'll do it bigger and better. Uh, the early 20th century saw Americans decorating the trees mainly with homemade ornaments. But the German-American sect continued to uh, use apples and nuts and candy and uh, cookies. Popcorn was brought, uh, dyed bright colors. And then as electricity became widespread, that brought on the invention of Christmas tree lights. And that is how it came to be. The Germans were credited with it. A lot of folks have tried to claim that the Christmas tree is totally pagan in its origins, which is absolutely foolish. Pagans did worship trees and they worshiped evergreens. But you know what? Pagans worshiped rocks. And you and I, we build houses out of rocks. We put foundations on rock. I have a degree in geology. I studied rock. It doesn't make me a pagan. So that's the origin of Christmas trees in a nutshell. Let's move on quickly to candy canes. Where do candy canes come from? I'm glad you asked. In 1670, so they've been around a long time, in Cologne, Germany, the choir master of the Cologne Cathedral was putting on a Christmas production. And uh, he was disturbed by the noisy children while he was trying to do this thing. And it was dis uh, disrupting the church service. They were doing a special Christmas nativity service and, uh, on, the, on the Christmas Eve. And so what he did is he went to a local candy maker and he asked them for some sweet sticks so he could give the kids really to shut the kids up. And in order to justify the practice, now this is this choir director's idea, in order to justify the practice of giving children candy in church, he had the uh, candy maker to bend them like a crook of a shepherd's staff. And that way he would help the children to remember the shepherds and the role the shepherds play in the nativity story at the birth of Christ. Uh, in addition to that, he, he symbolically used white and red dye in the candy cane. And he wanted to teach the children about uh, the Christian faith. And he used white to talk about conversion and the sinless life of Jesus. And of course, then he used the red to talk about the blood of Jesus. And so from then on, uh, the candy canes were spread all over as part of Europe and they were then handed on to every generation and kind of given to children all over Europe and then even to the Americas in their church services. So that is where your candy cane comes from. And I like that story. It's an ingenious idea. And now every pagan at the holidays has got a shepherd's staff in his mouth. Doesn't even realize that a Christian 500 years ago came up with the idea to remind people about the shepherd's role at the nativity. That brings me into some more pagan discussions. We want to talk about the Yule. That's spelled Y-U-L-E. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't heard of it. This time of year is referred to as the Yule. And if you even look up the term Yule in some dictionaries, it'll tell you the Christmas season. It'll tell you the winter solstice. It'll tell you the celebration of the Christ child. That is what the Yule has come to mean. But the original term Yule, chased, uh, ter uh, you can chase its origins back to the Norse, to the Scandinavians, to the Vikings. And, and that they spelled it J-O-L, but we pronounce it Yule. And that was the celebration of their winter solstice. You have to understand, as Americans, we're, for the most part, the product of European influence. And Europe hasn't always been Christian. Europe had a heyday of a Christian uh, awakening, 
But its origins, Europe's origins are very much pagan, just like every place without Christ. You had the Celtics and you had the Druids and you had the Norse. You had the pagans. You had all these folks, the Romans, the Greeks, they all worshiped demons. And so when you chase back and discover the Yule, uh, the Yule is a Scandinavian term in origin. And the Yule is the Scandinavian celebration of the winter solstice. Now, when you start talking about the winter solstice, what you're referring to, and right now as you watch this, you'll be very close to the winter solstice. That's just an astronomical term uh, in dealing with astronomy. This winter solstice is when the days stop getting shorter and it has become the shortest it will ever be, usually about December 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And at the solstice, it changes every year, but only fluctuating December 21st, 22nd, 23rd. From that point forward, the days begin to get longer again. That's called the solstice. So in all those northern European countries for thousands of years, that was a big deal because you were going into darkness. And uh, when you're dark, you don't get to plow. When it gets dark, it's winter. When it gets dark, you don't get to eat. And it's a bad time of year for them. So it was a big celebration when the days stopped getting shorter and they began to celebrate when the days began to get longer and longer and longer again. That celebration was called the Yule. Uh, the Yule celebration was the beginning of the lengthening of days. And part of it ties to the Norsemen, the Vikings is what you and I would know them as. They believed the sun was a giant wheel of fire that would roll away from the earth until December 21st or thereabout. And then from that day forward, it would begin to roll close to the earth again. And so they would celebrate it. This had all sorts of pagan celebrations enwrapped with it, with drinking and, and all sorts of bizarre things. If you were to Google Yule, you'd end up on a lot of pagan Wiccan witchcraft websites because they still actively celebrate the Yule. We've come to recognize it as uh, there's even a famous Louis Armstrong song, a Christmas song called Have a Cool Yule. Uh, there's a lot of times talking about the Yule. The other thing that goes with the celebrating of the Yule is what's called the Yule Log. And many folks in America still celebrate with the Yule Log. They just put the Yule Log in their fireplace and they burn it. But that also has Norse pagan origins. The Yule Log was a way in which pagans celebrated the Yule or the return of the sun. And so what they would do is they would go and cut down a giant tree uh, and they would haul it into their home. And this log was set ablaze, adding a much needed light to their home. And the festivities and the celebration of the Yule would ensue for as long as that log would burn, which ironically was about 12 days, which is somehow how we came to develop the 12 days of Christmas. All these things kind of bled together in about the 14th and 15th and 16th century in Europe. The log would burn throughout the night and then smolder for 12 days before being ceremonially put out. Uh, ash, here's where we get really interesting. Ash is the traditional wood of the Yule log. Now, you might have a Yule log in your home. As long as you're not worshiping the devil with it, I don't care. I've got gas logs. I don't think they're Yule. I think they're ceramic. And we turn on the switch and the gas comes on and we have a nice little glow and it puts out some warmth. Uh, some folks have some kind of ceramic log and they put candles in it. I don't know. We're not worshiping devils here. We're definitely not Scandinavian, nor are we Norse, nor are we Vikings with big fluffy beards and horns coming out our head. But this is the origin of this stuff. Ash was the traditional wood of the Yule log. And ash is the sacred wood. Uh, wood. It's the sacred world tree of the Teutons known as uh, Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. Ash is the tree 
that was worshipped by the Teutons or the Teutonic mythological demon worship. And this tree called Yggdrasil was a huge tree located at the center of the earth. This gets back all to Norse mythology. And this tree had three roots. One extended to Nephalm, which is the underworld or hell. One extended to Jotunheim, which is the land of the giants. And one extended to Asgard, the land of the gods. Now, Again, if you've watched that recent Thor movie, you've heard some of these terms. If you're a Marvel comic book fan, you've heard all these terms. Marvel in the 60s just went into Norse religion and borrowed all their mythological details to produce a comic book hero. That is Isdrasil. That's the Yule log that the Norse would burn to celebrate the rising of the sun again. Once the log had burned and was put out, the ashes would then be taken and spread throughout the house to ward off evil spirits. And thus you have the Yule log. (laughs) I don't know what it's evolved to in certain parts. Certainly parts of northern America celebrate with that more than we southerners do. But I thought I'd cover. That brings us to the subject of wassailing. Now you've heard that song, here we go, a wassailing, something, something, something. The term wassailing is a a, a practice associated with pre-Christian fertility rites. It's a pagan thing. Only in those ceremonies, villagers traveled through their fields. Wassailing means to travel about basically singing. They would travel through their fields and orchards in the middle of winter, about the time of the Yule or the winter solstice. They were singing and shouting to drive away any spirits that might inhibit the growth of future crops. They're about to enter into the winter and spring, and they don't want demon spirits to hinder their crops. So wassailing was early caroling to drive off evil spirits. Part of this was they would pour wine and cider into their fields to ensure a good crop in the coming spring and summer. This event has evolved furthermore into caroling. So that's wassailing. That's the origins of caroling. Now that doesn't mean we go stop caroling. Uh, caroling is just basically singing the hymns of Jesus Christ's birth at Christmas time. We don't think about wassailing to drive out evil spirits, but that's where it evolved from. What about mistletoe? Once again, you can't deal with mistletoe without getting into Norse mythology. And by Norse, we mean the Vikings. We mean Thor. We mean Odin. We mean Loki. We mean Balder. We mean uh, uh, Haga. All these different Norse gods. And so the story with mistletoe, why do we kiss under the mistletoe? Why do we break mistletoe out this time of year? We hang it over the door so we can steal a kiss. So many Christians do this and we never ask why. Why? So here's the history and the mythology of mistletoe. Balder was the grandson of Thor, the Norse god from the movie. (laughs) And he woke up a certain morning after having had a dream that all of creation was out to kill him. And his mother tried to console him. His wife tried to console him to no avail. He was convinced he was going to die. And so uh, his mother went about and his wife went to every living creature and said, please promise us you won't kill Balder. And everything agreed. We won't kill Balder. Why is he thinking we're going to kill him? Uh, They begged each one. They begged kindness of all creation and they each agreed. But they forgot mistletoe for some reason. And then along comes this this God named Loki, the God of evil and mischief. And he decides to play a trick on Balder. And what he does is he makes an arrow out of mistletoe. And he gives it to the blind God of winter, Hoder. Hoder takes this arrow made out of mistletoe. This is pagan religion here. (laughs) And he shot uh, Balder in the chest and killed him. And... uh, 
Mistletoe was the only species on earth that his wife and his mother had failed to notice, which is why it happened to kill this god, the grandson of Thor. Because of that, the story of it ends that uh, the decree that whosoever, whoever stands under the humble under the humble mistletoe, no harm should befall them. Only a kiss and a token of love that you can remember what his mom and his wife forgot. Uh, so that in all of its delusional grandeur is why we kiss under the mistletoe because a couple of gods shot each other with poison dart arrows made out of mistletoe and to remember what they forgot, we're supposed to give each other a smooch. The other part of it is because of the tears of his mom and his wife, those tears fell and became the white seeds that you see on mistletoe. So, you know, if you want to kiss each other under the mistletoe, just make sure you're married or, I don't know, just be Christians about it. We're not worshiping Thor or Odin or Loki or anything like that. And that brings us to our last thing because we're almost out of time already. And remember, we want to keep Jesus the focus of our season, but we are instructing you on the origins of these Christmas traditions. Now that we're looking at it, we think this is absolutely ludicrous. We have slowly pushed Jesus out of the holiday season. We've pushed Jesus out of Christmas, the birth of the Son of God, not some made-up Viking helmeted horn thing. God, we've pushed Jesus out because of this. Poinsettias, which we have all over our sanctuary here because they're just pretty. Uh, I might also add the colors of Christmas, the red, the green, the gold. Those are also pagan in origin because of what they believe, but we've adopted it. So what can you do? Poinsettias are not originally from America, but they arrived here in the 19th century. The plant is named for the first U.S. ambassador to Mexico, Dr. Joel Roberts Poinsett. And he introduced America to the poinsettia in 1828 after discovering it in the wilderness in southern Mexico. He was a kind of he dabbled in botany. He was an amateur botanist. And so when he wasn't politicking between the two nations, he would bring cuttings back to his home in South Carolina. And while it initially wasn't embraced, it caught on over the years. And by the 20th century, it was a holiday mainstay because of the colors. And now there's all sorts of new modern traditions about the leaves and how they represent the Bethlehem star. And, and so we don't put that down, but it's just a new tradition. Um, so they, the question is often asked, uh, what does the poinsettia have to do with Christmas? One interpretation of the plant is as a symbol of the star of Bethlehem, the heavenly body that led the three magi or wise men to the place where Christ was born. A Mexican legend tells of a girl who could only offer weeds as a gift to Jesus on Christmas Eve. When she brought the weeds into a church, they blossomed into the beautiful red plants we know them as poinsettias, known as the Flores de Noche Bueno in Mexico, or Flowers of the Holy Night. I've run out of time. <laughs> I almost hate to mock some of our Christmas traditions, but when you start studying this, you see that mankind is very superstitious. I would encourage you as a Christian... Make the main focus, the only focus of this holiday, Jesus Christ, God's gift to mankind for salvation. Pastor Christopher signing off here. Don't forget, be a doer of God's word. We love you. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week in Jesus' name.